Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where I ask various guests to tell me the five things from their life, any time in their life, that they would like to have preserved in a time capsule. They can pick four things that they love and would like to keep safe in a time capsule, but they also put one thing in there that they'd like to get rid of. Something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the actor Carla Mendonca, who is best known for playing Orla Crawshaw in Coronation Street and Sophie Johnson in the children's sitcom My Parents Are Aliens and has appeared in... Are you ready for this? The Young Ones, The Lenny Henry Show, the films Hillary and Jackie and Common People, Pushing Up Daisies, Coming Next, KYTV, Bottom, Hale and Pace, 32 episodes of Motormouth, French and Saunders, 26 episodes of The Legends of Treasure Island, Wycliffe, Smith and Jones, Harry Enfield and Chums, Badil's Syndrome, My Dad's the Prime Minister, Roman's Empire, she provided the female voices for 40 episodes of Big Barn Farm, she was in Doctors, Scoop, Great Night Out, 10 episodes episodes are so awkward, and lots and lots of theatre, including the West End, the Oxford Stage Company, the Royal Exchange, and the RSC. She was also in the band The Masonettes, more of that shortly, and is married to the actor Clive Mantle, more of that very tallly. Here is the delightful Carla Mendonca. Hello, Mikey. Oh, it's amazing to see you. You're looking gorgeous. Oh, so are you. But we haven't changed, have we? <laughs> we haven't changed. No, not a bit. <laughs> not even our clothes. Not our underwear. <laughs> not nothing. <clothes. laughs> Darling, should I be recording? Well, you can, yes. Let me um, open the... Oh, why has it gone from my dashboard? Um, the traumas of modern life. <laughs> I know. I had it all set out. Oh, here we are, voice memos. Who would ever have thought that we would use a phrase like, oh, no, it's disappeared from my dashboard? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you the eternal question, because I know some people who pronounce your name as Mendonca, 
Yes. And some people pronounce it as Mendonça. Yes. And some people even go Spanish with it, which is completely incorrect, isn't it? Because yes. it's Portuguese. Exactly. Well, you see, four marks. Thank because, you. Because the first bunch of people you mentioned, they're all bastards because that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, second, second bunch are the correct bunch, the, mm-hmm. the group to which you belong. It's Mendonça. So it's a C with a cedilla, which is a French or a soft C. Yeah. And there are Portuguese people who live and work in this country there's a Susanna Mendonca who works for the BBC, who's mm. a BBC correspondent, as you probably know. And there's a footballer called Clive Mendon- Mendonca. Yes. But there is, there is no such name as Mendonca. So he's obviously dispensed with the cedilla to make it easier for people. Some <laughs> people change the C and the cedilla to an S. Oh, right. So that, that it's spelt wrong, but it's pronounced correctly, yeah. I always remember it. And I've remembered it from way back because it always makes me think, this will show you how my mind works, that it's, this is not rude, I promise. Aww. Well, I won't reveal those yet. You know. <laughs> In my head, I always sing, Hold me close, Carla Mendonca. <laughs> I'm never, ever going to be able to hear that song again without thinking of that. That is so brilliant. Of course, they they played that in the last scene of the Roman Empire series we did together. Yeah. When Free Nelson Mandela, the song was out, <laughs> people used to say, Free <laughs> Mendonca. <laughs> no, I'm so versatile. You can fit it anywhere. My it's name. it's brilliant. Anywhere. Okay. We're going to rewrite the entire pop history of Britain <laughs> and fit your name in all over the Based place. around my name. <laughs> there are different pronunciations of it. Fantastic. So we're going to talk about five things from your life that you've chosen yes. to put into a time capsule. Yes. Four things that you love and one thing that you'd like to forget about. Right. Of course, originally I thought, I know everyone does this at a preamble and sort of explains themselves before they've actually just said the things that they are. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm going to follow suit. Um, I'm not a materialistic person or a particularly sentimental one either. So I was thinking of things which I could talk about, a memory or, or something from my past or my childhood or whatever. Mm. I don't really have it. I don't really, haven't really kept things which were special. Also, I have moved more times than... And I care to mention, I have friends who say I've had to buy a new address book just to accommodate the ends. It's true. Because you have moved so many times. (laughs) I've had so many lives, honestly, Mikey. But I I thought of the things that were very important to me and that will always be important to me that it might be interesting to talk about. And Mm. the first thing I'm going to put in my time capsule is working cocker spaniels. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Specifically, Roxy, my black working cocker spaniel, who's Mm. a six-year-old, and whom is my surrogate child. Well, she is my child, in (laughs) fact. Uh, She looks slightly different from me, not much, but, uh, yeah, she's the child or the children I I sadly never had. Mm. Um, But um, they are the most incredible breed. I mean, first of all, they're just beautiful to look at, and I think that's a massive bonus. I mean, I can cheer up just by looking at her beautiful face with those huge black eyes bearing <laughs> into my soul, you know. And they are, as a breed, incredibly intelligent, desperate to please. They just want to go everywhere with you, which drives my husband bananas. <laughs> so much so that he's built himself a garden office so that he can escape from the dog. But there are two now, because, of course, we've adopted Monty from the Spaniel age. Um, 
But people say, oh, but, oh, a cocker spaniel's nuts. And, you know, there is no such thing as a bad or a crazy dog. There's just either no training or a bad owner. Mm. And they are the easiest to train because they're quick and they're clever and they want to please. So once you've taught them how you expect them to live in your world, Mm. they are keen to do that because it gets them really the three things they need. All dogs are really interested in is three things, is reproduction, being fed and shelter. Oh, I'm a dog. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a dog? I don't have a dog, no. I think it would be lovely to have a dog. I mean, it's a big responsibility to take on, isn't it? Because almost every time I ever speak to you, you say, I'm out walking. I know, I'm always on a walk, yeah. But when people spend a lot of time building exercise into their life, a dog is absolutely the answer, isn't it? It really is. And this breed, people think they need to walk them for hours. You could walk them for hours and they would never get tired you, they mm. would go all day if they could the thing they respond to and the thing that tires them is mental stimulation so you can do some training with them for 15 minutes and then they'll be asleep for <laughs> two hours i am a dog <laughs> you are you work for an hour and then you go 15 minutes is enough <laughs> <laughs> voiceover studio after 15 minutes yeah where's mike oh he's gone mate he's gone he's having a nap falling asleep on the train again <laughs> He'd end up in the sidings at Hastings. Not for the first time, I No. Well, as you remember, we go back a long way. And there were wilder days, weren't there? Although they were never really wild. You and I are terribly well brought up, I think, and rather polite people. And I don't think we ever... I don't know about you, but I certainly... When we worked together all those years ago doing commercials in Europe, do you remember? Yes. Playing mum and dad. Um, (laughs) There were never any wild nights out or parties or... We were quite good, I think. No. How boring. So um, (laughs) what was I going to say? Oh, yes, of course, the last time when you interviewed Clive, Mm. my husband, for this. We sat in your kitchen. With seven spaniel puppies. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, And uh, we were constantly distracted by these little tiny whimpering voices going, please, (laughs) come and pet me. Yes, or can I be in it? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea for a podcast. I'm definitely doing that one. (laughs) Me talking to dogs. (laughs) I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that animals have emotions like humans. Mm. People often say, well, they don't know, they're not human. And you go, no, but they have mm. their own emotions. And and I think no. they're probably as real as ours. They very much do. And in fact, when you get to, obviously you bond with your with your dog and you, you get to know, I mean, I know when Roxy's uh, stressed, when she's unhappy, when she's hungry, when she's happy. I mean, they smile. You know, Roxy mm. and Monty clearly grin their heads off when they're out <laughs> on a walk. And their eyes brighten and their tongues are sort of pinker and they're, you know, having a wonderful time. But they say that dogs are also very good at detecting when we're down. And mm. But Ro- Roxy's really a bit rubbish at that. She doesn't really care if I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, God, really get over it. I need something from you in a minute yes. and you're not going to be up to it. <laughs> it's all right. I've had sex. I've got shelter and now I'm eating. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you. I don't need you anymore. Cry away. Yeah. <laughs> and Monty came from a shelter, did he? Monty came from Spaniel Aid. He was a lockdown puppy. Oh. He was one of the many millions of puppies that were bought because people had time or thought it would be a good thing to do for a hobby. And mm-hmm. then uh, Spaniels suffered, especially Spaniels and Labradors, because they're so beautiful. And but you, people go, oh, they're so pretty, they're so pretty. And then they don't realise... They haven't looked into the breed. They've no. just chosen the dog aesthetically. You know, they haven't looked into what, what its needs are and they don't know how to train it. So, And then, of course, they were all dumped when people went back to work. The dogs get behavioural issues because they get separation anxiety. 
Monty was moved four times before he came to us. So did he have problems when he turned up? He did. He was mm. a bit of a what they call a counter surfer, which is that he would jump up on the counter and look for any food that well, Clive does that actually to be fair. So, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he does. He he did jump up on counters and he would bark on your face if you wanted something or to tell you that he was not happy. He had a couple of issues like not coming in to the house, not crossing the threshold to come in when he'd gone out for a wee and then he wouldn't come in. And all those things have completely gone with the training and the trust. And he's been with us a year now, so he knows this is his home. Mm. And he seems to be very, very happy. Rox is not so happy about him being here because she's a pedigree princess. <laughs> um, and she's a little bit kind of like, when's this guy leaving? <laughs> is the lodger still here? <laughs> yeah, he's still here. Do we really need that extra income? I really don't think we do, do we? <laughs> <laughs> if only he provided some. <laughs> yes, quite. How lovely, though. I do miss having dogs. I had dogs when I was a boy, yeah. and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. But yeah. probably like a lot of boys, and one of the things you don't realise in these situations is I was always the one who went, I've got to go for a walk again. Yeah. We went yesterday. I know it's funny, and most parents of, of children who, you know, they get their dog for. Yes. Leave it to the mum and dad. Mm-hmm. Well, the mum, actually. Mum. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, mum ends up looking after them. But um, they are hard work. But you have to flip that and say, do you know what? I've been at my desk for two and a half hours. Yep. Okay. They're mithering me. Let's get out in the fresh air or the rain or whatever it is mm. and walk them. And it's really, it's really good for you. It's, even if you're feeling tired, there's that Japanese thing of ikigai. Do you know about that? No. I think it's a word that means living in the moment. Right. And it means that they interviewed a lot of, or the woman who wrote the book interviewed a lot of women and men who live in the blue zones. Mm-hmm. So specifically one Okinawa where um, she asked this sort of 103-year-old woman, I'm probably getting my facts wrong here, she's probably 112, but <laughs> what's your reason for your, your long life? And she said, well, I get up early, I go to the fields, I work, I come home, I have some lunch. If I feel a bit tired after lunch, I, I don't have a sleep. I go to my neighbour and talk to her and that gives me energy. Ah. So it's the thing about the more you do, the more energy you have. Mm-hmm. If she went to sleep, she would not have that amount of energy. So she also smokes a cigarette at the end of every day, which I think is probably the main reason why she's still <laughs> She's happy. She's happy abusing her body. She's got something to look forward to. <laughs> we all need that. Yeah. Well, lovely. I'm going to take Roxy and Monty. Oh, I don't think Roxy will be very happy about that. It's too much like a Billy Joel song. <laughs> Carlos Cockers. <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to put them into the time capsule as your first item, Carla. Thank you, Mike. Oh, bless them. Thank you. Do you know I'm going to have to walk them every day now? Yeah, well, oh no, that's the point is you sort of put yourself away with them, really. Yeah. It's just something you can't, you couldn't live without, isn't it? It's something that you want to preserve. Mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly, I know we've sort of moved on to the next one now, but very briefly, you know, if I imagine life without Roxy, I get very, very upset. I use it in, in auditions really? when I have to cry, yeah. I mean, obviously, I can't invest anything much in the character because you've got two pages of script and you yeah. haven't seen the whole thing and you're not working with another actor, you're working with you know, someone reading from behind it. So you have to find a, tr- a quick trigger. Mm-hmm. And I say, I imagine a policeman comes to the door with Roxy's dead body in his arm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing, but really I'm dying inside because that's, mm. that's immediate will bring me to tears, yeah. So she's got her uses. <laughs> <laughs> did I ever tell you about the audition I did? I'll probably cut this out, Carla. Don't. Where I, um, I went for this part and it said in the script, he breaks down. 
and I've got to this moment and I thought, okay. And I use one of those tricks, as it were, to sort of, you know, I came to that mm. moment, thought about something awful and went off into my own world and started to cry. And I sat there with my head down. And I knew that, because I'd learnt the script, that the next line was the other person's. And eventually, after quite a long pause, I looked up with tears running down my face and said to the casting director, I, I think it's your line. And she went, oh, thank goodness for that. I thought you were having a breakdown. Her script didn't have the direction he breaks down on it. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Did you get the job? No, I bloody didn't. For God's sake, all that amazing acting. (laughs) I think she was probably too embarrassed to show anybody. (laughs) Oh, that is incredible. My God, audition stories. Mm. Could have write volumes and volumes of them, couldn't we? Yes. It's a good idea, I think. Someone must have done it, surely. Don't know. Has Michael Simpkins done it? Maybe. Michael Simpkins should do it. His books are marvellous. They aren't are marvellous, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, I'll suggest it to him because I'm too lazy to do it myself. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. Well, the next thing is my piano. Oh. I was given this piano when I was unborn. My mother was a dancer. My parents are both dancers. Mm. And my mother had a friend who was also a dancer. And her mother was. I always get this wrong, and I and I hate to commit it to hate, but she was in a troupe like the Tiller Girls or the Bluebell Girls. I right. mean, the Tiller Girls were English, weren't they? Yes. So, but I don't know if it was the Tiller Girls. Anyway, she was one of those amazing, synchronised, high-kicking dancers. Whitey, her name was Whitey. Wow. And she had a flat in Dolphin Square, and it was all white. Everything was white. Her <laughs> hair was like Marilyn White, her clothes, everything, the carpet, everything White, white, white is the colour of our carpet. (laughs) Sorry, that's just a quote from the producers. And there's this cupboard in white. I mean, everything was white, including this upright piano. And when my mother became very friendly with Sally's mother, Whitey, and Whitey, when my mother said she was pregnant, my mother said, she's going to be musical. I'm going to give her this piano. And she did. And I've had it for (laughs) three years. (laughs) It's slightly off-white now. (laughs) Well, you know... It was caked in paint. Over the years, it had been touched up and painted, but you could barely close the lid. Mm. So I had it restored. I had it stripped and Mm. restored. And it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful wood. Yeah. It's sort of maple. I think it's maple wood. Beautiful. But it's been been everywhere with me in in all my hundreds of moves. Um, It has lodged at other people's houses along the way when I've been in rented accommodation or it was in my family home until I got my own place after university and uh, yeah it's been it's been with me ever since I don't play it as much as I should but there's an incredible comfort in going back and playing basically all the well it's partly a test to see if I can still remember it without the music or fingering and everything Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also very comforting when you go back to all those old you know those cassette recorders and players which you held a finger down to play and record? Yes. To record? Yeah. Um, anyone under the age of 40 won't understand what I'm talking about. They can Google it. That's all right. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> and uh, and I would record um, the top 40 or the top 20, whatever it was, on a Sunday night. Mm. And then I would learn from the songs that I liked from ear by re- rever- you know, rewinding and then pressing play again, rewinding, going back over and over again and playing. But in fact, my piano teacher fired me because I was gifted in classical music. I passed uh, a lot of grades 
But I didn't, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to be able to play like Elton John and, you know, <laughs> I wanted to play pop songs. I wanted to make stuff up myself. I mm. didn't want to. So. And I, I remember hearing Life on Mars many years later. And I know a lot of people, a lot of girls, not a lot of girls, but I haven't known a couple of girls say this because one of the other things I was going to put in there was David Bowie. But <laughs> when I heard The Girl with the Mousy Hair, I heard those lyrics. I thought, it's about me. No uh-huh. one understands me. You know, when boys of my age were locking themselves in their room and listening to the Smiths and mm-hmm. realising that they did have friends out there, um, <laughs> I was listening to that and learning it on the piano and, and, and singing it to my, out to my heart, you know, like into, the, into my poor family, all in one room. Oh. There's a piano, a dining table, down the other end with the chairs and the television. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nightmare. Your parents were classical dancers, weren't they? Well, my father trained as a ballet dancer. Yeah. And I think my, I'm, I'm, it's awful, but I think my mum was, she did go to ballet lessons, but basically they were review dancers. Right. So in the in Portugal, where they met, my father's Portuguese, obviously, with the surname, and my mum's English. They met at a theatre in Lisbon called the Capitolia, and it's still there. It's been renovated. It's still there. Um, and um, she was said she was sitting in the audience with a girlfriend from her troupe of very nice young ladies from London. Ballet trained. Ballet trained. <laughs> and she, my father was on the stage, very athletic, beautiful man, uh, leaping about, doing whatever. They were rehearsing for this review. There were lots of different numbers and different acts and stuff. And she turned to her friend and she said, he's got legs like Nijinsky. <laughs> Not the horse. No. I hate to <laughs> no. add this. <laughs> And she thought, hmm, I'll have a bit of that. And that and the rest is history. But yeah, so they, they were in a, they were in, did reviews together. She often stood in for the comedians, the kind of the sidekick, well, not really a sidekick, but the, the butt of the comedians' jokes. Papa was always a bit snobbish about mum's dancing. He thought he was the serious dancer and she was. <laughs> but it worked with Whitey as well, getting you that piano, didn't it? Because you are musical. Well, yes, and I, I wish, you know, I really thought that my career was going to be musical theatre because mm. I spent my entire childhood glued to those MGM musicals. I mean, I loved them. I knew them inside out, and, but, the, but it was, wasn't to be. It, was, it, it took a completely different route. So Yes, me too. Oh, really? What were you going to do? Exactly that. Musical theatre? Yeah, people always forget that I can sing. There you are. You do you know what? Let's do it. Well, it's never too late, Mike. It's never, never too, too late. late. Let's do the show right here. Take my hand. I'm a strange-looking parasite. <laughs> <laughs> well, the heebie-jeebies. Ah, yes. You see, but because you do something comic, people forget that you can sing properly. Well, yeah, so that's the same with acting, though. As soon as you do comedy, they think, oh, she can't do straight stuff. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Of course you can. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I should have learned to dance like your parents and then I'd put some sort of work into it and become skillful in all areas of musicals, <laughs> and then maybe I would have done better. But, you know... Well, I think that's true. You have to be a triple threat, even more, or a quadruple threat, even more so now. But I think once you've got to our age... I think you can get away with just being a good actor and yeah. a good singer. I don't think they expect us to do high kicking or sort of prancing around the stage. We just play the character part. So now's the time. You and I, come on, let's yeah, do it. Absolutely, come on. Yeah. Let's recreate Mr and Mrs from those commercials but in a musical version. <laughs> 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 oh, I'd love it, actually. I have to say, all the musicals I have done, I've had a whale of a time. Yeah, I have done a couple and I absolutely loved it. Or just songs in shows. I mean, I've, it's, it's wonderful, great. Mm. Hang on a second, I've just remembered something else. Yes. You've had a pop career. Well, when you say career, there's <laughs> a loose terminology there. Um, well, I mean, okay, so <laughs> when I was at university, I 
got the chance to go up to the Edinburgh Festival and play the piano in the Roxburgh Hotel mm. for the diners and the festival goers and the guests and stuff. I wasn't, all my friends went up to be in a show, but the director of that show was friends with the manager at the Roxburgh. He said, do you know anyone who could play the piano and sing? I said, yeah. So I was up at the Edinburgh Festival, not losing money, but getting paid quite handsomely mm. um, with a, a show every night. Jasper Carrot and his manager at the time came in one night, sent over a couple of requests, oh. bought me a drink afterwards, asked me to come to their table. It turned out that the manager also managed a band called the Maisonettes. And he said, have you got a mate who can sing? Would you want to be a backing vocalist in this, in this group? I said, okay. Mm. He said, well, they're starting to get bookings and we need, to, because the people they've used on the demo of their single, it's a feminist trio who are doing political songs and touring, but they don't want to be associated with this band because it's a pop band. Right. Um, so we, we, they've, they've put the track down, but we need you, we need real singers to go and do these TV shows all over Europe with them and stuff. Mm. So it wasn't quite the sort of, you know, break I was hoping for. <laughs> I thought they might say, Jasper Carrot needs a new funny woman in his show. Uh, I was like, I'm there. But mm. no, that was to come maybe a little bit later. So, yeah, so my friend Elisa and I joined the Maisonettes. We made an album with them. The song was Heartache Avenue. The hit was Heartache Avenue. Mm. We never got to re-record the backing on that. So that isn't us on that track. Um, and Roll Deep, uh, an act, I don't know if you know, but it was remixed and it was re-released a few years ago. Um, that's a really good version. It's oh, a mix, right, was a mix it? of um, Heartache Avenue. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to look that up. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. It's really good. But we did get to go to Europe and the MU rules in those days were that you had to record the track and then they would play the, the single. They would play the original produced single when you actually mimed to it in front of mm. an audience or in the studio. But the MU rule said that you have to you had to record it again. Yeah. So you have to record is that all right? What's that? I'm in a room which is I'll come back to this, but I'm in a room with, yes. which is full of children's toys. Oh, it's Toy Story. No, it's Toy Story. They're yeah, all... they obviously didn't realise I was here because I was quiet and they've all come alive. <laughs> and I could just hear Old MacDonald Had a Farm being played in the background there. But That's Woody, yeah, Woody. It's, it's all right. <laughs> but at least you got to do it. That's the thing, isn't it? I always think with these things, you oh, know, yeah. it could have been your life. And then later on you might well have gone, you know, I did that for 10 years and then I didn't really do anything after that. Yeah, I know. It's true. It could have been. Mm. And um, we got to go to Nice, Monte Carlo. We were put up in that, whatever, I can't remember the name of that amazing hotel on the harbour with a, yeah. with a rooftop on top of a turret looking over all these huge yachts. And <laughs> I mean, it was it was ridiculous because the record companies wined and dined us all over the place. It mm. was absolutely brilliant. And we did shows like Cheggers Plays Pop in this country. Oh, brilliant. There is footage of the Maisonet on top of the pops. They got to number seven in the charts of that before Elisa and I joined. But they used, before we came along, because they had a booking for Top of the Pops, they went into Boots in Birmingham, where the band was based, mm. and picked up these two girls from behind one of the makeup counters and said, do you want to be in a band? Just hang on Top of the Pops. You didn't have to sing or anything. You just had to mind. They'd be like, okay. <laughs> and then we came along to do to do the rest of it. And we got £30 a session for recording that album. £30. Mm -hmm. What did you do with all that money? <laughs> well, I didn't save it. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I was a student at the time. Well, there you are, you see. Thank goodness for Whitey. Yeah. And her brilliant inspiration of giving you that piano. Exactly. And, yeah, and encouraging me to watch musicals. It was very good, and, and I do love that. I might actually try and play it this afternoon. I played the piano very badly. Do you? Yes, very badly. 
but I like to play the piano. I only play about about 10 different songs that I've taught myself over the years. Of course, there's great gaps between, like you, great, there are gaps between playing. Mm. And I know exactly that thing of, do my fingers still remember it? And I'm at the moment looking after a little kitten for my neighbour, which oh. is a great joy. I get to go in and play with it for hours and feed it. But anyway, they have a piano and they're away. So I've been sitting down. How and, marvellous. Yeah. And do your fingers still remember? Of they, course they do. They do still remember. It's really weird. It's the shapes. Your hands naturally fall into those. It's a pattern. Yeah. You know, as soon as you start breaking it down and thinking of it all as notes, it becomes very complicated. Very difficult. Think yeah. about the shape of the, of the chords. Yes, yeah, so I have to do that thing that I never imagined I would do. And strange enough, I tend to play, imagine. But I, <laughs> I found myself playing it better if I looked away and just let my hands play. Yes, I, I can't. If I look at the keys, I will forget it. I don't think about it too much then. Yeah. Well, when you're singing, you're looking up at the stars anyway, aren't you? When you're playing, you're like... I'm being Elton John, yeah. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> what I loved about that is also the drama. I like songs with story. You could act and sing them at the same time. Mm. In Jesus Christ Superstar, there's a song called The Garden of Gethsemane, which is, I only want to say, if there is a way, take this cup away from me. I don't want to drink its poison. And it builds and builds and builds into this sort of huge drama about how he's telling God to get on with it because he's had enough of working for him and doing his bidding. And I used to sing my heart out. It's about eight minutes long. And uh, everyone started off in the room at my house when I was a child. And by the time I'd finished, there was absolutely no one left. But I was happy. Marvellous. Yeah, uh, Carl, it's getting a bit late. I think we need to finish this party. So could you sing us a song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. OK, well, there you are. See, that one little piano, that white piano, that's taken us all through all those lovely things. I know. Brilliant. I know, amazing. OK, good. Well, let's move on to number three. OK, ad break time, but we will be back with Carla before you've even noticed we've been away. See you shortly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back. Let's find out what else the lovely Carla Mendonca would like to put in her time capsule. Okay, number, number three. <laughs> Having said I wasn't materialistic, I'm now going to talk about a piece of jewellery. Mm-hmm. And it's not really the piece, it's what it represents. The piece of jewellery is a very beautiful old black pearl necklace, which was given to me by Sylvia Sims. 
Oh, how lovely. The actress. Mm. And if it wasn't for Sylvia, I would not ever have owned property, had enough money. She taught me so much about autonomy as a woman. Mm. Financial autonomy, independence, always have your own money. It doesn't matter. You can have a household account, share your, you know, share stuff. But always, always, always keep something of your own. When did you meet her? I met her doing a play at the Tricycle by Howard Brenton and Tariq Ali mm. called Ugly Rumours, which, as you know, is the name of Tony Blair's, was the name of Tony Blair's band at uni. Yes. And the play was a bizarre kind of surreal melting pot of satire. Well, obviously, it was a satire about... Sylvia played Margaret Thatcher. I played Sherry Blair. Neil Malarkey played Tony Blair. Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown. Gordon Kennedy. <laughs> Gordon Kennedy played Gordon Brown. I played also Charlie Whelan. And Jay Griffith played Peter Mandelson. Mm. So it was about spin and it was about new labour and the abolition of Clause 4. Yes. So, yeah, so we met there and Jay and Sylvia and I shared a dressing room. And I was actually terrified of Sylvia because she's quite a formidable presence. You know, she says what she thinks. She doesn't suffer fools. She's bored very easily. She's very, very honest. For example, the director was taking an age to sort something out and or talk about something or describe something. And she just got up. And we were rehearsing, we were rehearsing a scene, her and me. And she got up in the middle of it. I'm going for a cigarette. <laughs> and just sort of left the room. And I, of course, as a, a younger actress, I was like... I've done something wrong. She thinks I'm shit. Mm. But it wasn't It wasn't that at all. She was just thought that there was a lot of talk going on, not enough action, which was true. Mm. But do you know what? All those things about her, I just said, she has the biggest, hugest heart. I, I think she's the, one of the kindest, if not the kindest person I've ever met. If you were in a scrape or in trouble, as I was later that she got me out of, she would do anything for you. Mm. And... Um, I was I was I was in terrible financial difficulty. I'd never in those days I was absolutely dreadful with money and I said, I'm going to sell my flat. We we were just friends and she said, I'm going to sell my flat. She said, Don't you dare. Hmm. Don't you dare sell your flat. I said, I have to sort of I'm in terrible financial difficulty. I can't she said, No, you don't. You rent it out and you come and live with me in my in my spare bedroom. Wow. So that's what I did. I didn't pay her any rent, she didn't want any money. And that's when we talked about money and how she'd always maintained that she needed to look after herself mm -hmm. doesn't matter how in love you are how happy you are doesn't matter about any of that and how financial independence was freedom and independence uh, ultimately and she taught me that lesson I kept my flat I then bought a house on the strength of owning that flat both in Shoreditch which then became incredibly trendy yes the, the point is I would never have owned property and I would never have got myself out of financial ruin if I hadn't been for her but she came from a world where that would have been almost impossible. Yeah. You know, she came from a world where you had to get your husband to sign off if you want to get in more. Yes, you did. Yes, you have your husband's permission. Uh, yes, mm -hmm. she did. And interestingly, um, I, I, th this is a massive sort of throwback to when I was 17 at school and I told her this story. I remember I told her that we were all after registration. We were in the, up, the lower six and we were all in registration and we were the careers advisor was coming to, to see us all and talk to us about our our career prospects and everyone was talking about what they wanted to be who what they were going to do and everyone had a plan mm. and I said I wanted to be an actress which I had always been since I was a child or a performer of some kind and this girl one girl said well, I said, well what about you and she said well I'm going to get married and to a rich man and do what I want 
it was a revelation to me. I, I, it was a complete revelation. I was like, wow, that's a thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. That's an option. Bloody hell, I never, I never even considered that. I mean, I don't know whether subconsciously it was because I was brought up by a mother, a single parent mm. with four children who always was either studying or working Mm. Or whether I thought of the fact that I had being an actress was having a career, and that's a different thing from, you know, it's a vocation. It's a very strange thing, isn't it? Because you are deliberately making a choice that you are not going to love someone who's poor. Yes, exactly. And I've come across that in the past mm. with uh, other people. It's interesting, isn't it? If only I'd made that decision. <laughs> <laughs> but it's strange, isn't it? Because in a way, there's also the decision that you may well end up with someone that you don't love. But they're very rich. Yeah, yeah. And you see that but as well, always, don't you? Yeah, you do, you do, and that's some consolation, I suppose. But I, I can't mm. really see how. What are you contributing? What's your point? What's the point of you mm. if you're not doing something either for somebody or for yourself, but not in a selfish way? You know, you're growing as a person, or mm. I don't know. It seems it, it just seems very parasitic and. And boring. I mean, who would want to just sit around and spend someone else's money for the, Oh, hang on a minute. That sounds really nice. <laughs> and not work and all those. I just go on holiday all the time. Oh, and, God. Mm, oh, just organise right, the gardeners. Right. I know. Yeah, tough. <laughs> but you see, it was just something that fitted with the model that then later in life, Sylvia said it really quite angrily you will not give up your flat. You have to keep your property and you mm. have to have money and you have to, you know, work. And, uh, I did a talk to a girls' school um, a couple of years ago, and um, it was because of my parents were aliens. They they wanted to hear about that. Of course, and yeah, yeah. So awkward. And um, I said, if there's one thing you must never do, it's if somebody is offering you a job, and then as a man going for the same job, or is employed in the same role at the same time, and they offer him more money than you, ask why, or don't take the job. Demand the same money. Yep. Even now it's rare. It's strange. Yeah, it is. So when did Sylvia give you the black pearl necklace? That was a first night present. That's a very generous present. Yes, it was very generous. Very, very generous indeed. As yes. I said, big, 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 big heart on legs, that woman. Yes, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that she she taught you the lesson of be independent, have your own money, own property. Mm. Don't let people say just because you're a woman, you don't rely on other people. But that didn't make her acquisitive. No. She had things, but she was willing to give them away straight away. She was. And that was the heart in her. Mm. The heart and the love in her. Yeah. yeah. And she was the kind of person that she'd give it to you and you'd go, Sylvia, I love it. She'll stop it. <laughs> Brilliant. God bless her. Yeah, God bless her indeed. A great actress, great comedian. Beautiful woman. Lovely. Okay. That goes in as number three. Right. We've got two left. So you can either do the thing you want to get rid of or you can have the one more thing that you'd like to keep. Yeah, let's do the thing I want to get rid of first because okay. that's a bit bleak. I mean, to be honest, I'm sure other people have said this as well. I honestly thought of so many things I could put in here, which shows what a miserable bastard I am because <laughs> because I, there were more things I was angry about or hated than there were things that I loved. So, um, But I, I, I turned it around in the end. Okay, so the simple things to put in would be celery salt and quail's eggs. <laughs> And in fact, celery, anything related to celery or quails, they can all go to hell, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I didn't realise until the third time I tried quails. It sounds like I'm a real posh bitch, doesn't it? I mean, this is other people's houses. I don't buy them for myself. Mm. You know, a quail's egg, dip the celery salt, 
two hours later. Really? It took me three times to realize that it was the quail's egg and the celery salt and not the wine I'd had or something else I'd eaten. It was like, how slow do you have to be? So it's not the flavor then? You don't dislike the flavor of it? I do now. Ah, yes. (laughs) Because now the smell and the flavor. And celery is just pointless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they say it takes it burns more calories eating it than it gives you in nutritional terms. So. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just crunchy. It's crunchy and water. This is water, basically. <laughs> crunchy water. water. You can get that from a freezer. <laughs> <laughs> I have at times in my life, as you well know, Mike, spent quite a lot of time eating just vegetables <laughs> yes. many, many years ago. And I'm over it. Mm-hmm. Time to tell you, I got over it a long time ago and celery was one of the first things to go. <laughs> so, no, I think in that place, I'm going to put... Not a thing, but I'm going to put an impulse in there, mm. um, which is trying too hard. Right. Trying too hard to please other people and not yourself. That sounds selfish, but and it is, because in order to be able to give to other people, you have to have fed yourself first, and it's really important. And there's one particular experience I had, and I've had a few, but this one looms large, of when I tried too hard and blew something rather major for myself, which was, I was in a show called Daisy Pulls It Off in the West End. Which mm, sounds I remember. Like it's, it's rude. It was on in Soho, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, but it was on at the, what's now called the Gilgood Theatre, I think. Or has it been, has it been renamed? There? No, it is the Gilgood, yeah. The Gilgood, right. Well, it was, it was called the, the Globe mm-hmm. at the time. That was before the Globe was reinvented on the river. So Daisy Pulls It Off was a schoolgirl romp in the 1930s with, you know, jolly hockey sticks and rah, rah, rah. It was great fun. Did it for a year. But about two months into the run, my very powerful agent invited the most luminary 10 people to come and see it, his client. He invited John Lloyd, mm-hmm. producer of Fitting Image and Not Nine Got News and all that. Blackadder. Blackadder, bloody everything, so mm-hmm. many things, QI, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if Paul Jackson, it's probably no good to name people, is it? Because people won't know who they are. But anyway, this is a luminary group of people that were coming. All the people that had the power at the time, yes. The people that had the power at the time in television yeah. terms, mm-hmm. comedy terms, yeah. Well, Paul Jackson was doing I, the young ones at the time, so. That's right. Well, mm-hmm. he'd already given me my first break. He gave me my first break, which was in the young ones. It was two lines in, in an episode of the young ones. So they, they were all there. Paul was there. I'm sure he was there. And I was saying that there was Daisy and then there was Trixie. And Trixie was the sort of madcap. She was the madcap and poet of the upper fourth. And she was the, <laughs> oh, Jubilate. She was the one that, you know, got everyone going, picked everyone up when they were down and was completely insane and fun and just a good egg. <laughs> and um, it was a great part. In my opinion, it was just the best part in the play. Mm. And I was good in it. I knew I was good in it because I'd, I'd fallen into it completely naturally. It was like I was born to it. And I was getting lots of laughs. Every night, every performance. So I knew, I knew it was working. Mm. That night, I went way, way, way over the top. Uh. I pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. I was loud. I was huge. Everything I said, guaranteed humdingers, landed like a wet fish, uh. a boulder. It was absolutely, and I couldn't stop. No. The more that happened, the more I pushed. Mm-hmm. The harder I tried, the harder and harder and harder I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy came up to me, was playing Daisy, and she went, are you okay? <laughs> Have you taken cocaine? <laughs> I don't, exactly. I don't know what I was doing. I was so desperate, desperate to impress. I could have just um, been relaxed. Why didn't I just trust my own instincts and my own, what had been working up until that point? 24 years old, 
no idea, no training, no idea. I mean, ridiculous, you know. Anyway, there was a party. My agent threw a party afterwards at a big restaurant, and everyone came, and the, it, uh, no one really spoke to me. Uh. And I said to my agent, "Have I done something wrong?" He said, "Well, you know, it was it was a little big." Your performance. It was just over the top. You were over the top. I've never seen you do it like that before. Why did you do that? I, said, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Desperate to please. Desperate to please. And that was a huge knock to my confidence. But a really big lesson learned. A really big lesson learned. Mm-hmm. But that whole thing of that, that experience is something that I wish I didn't ever have to think about, you know, putting your foot in it. Because they stay with you, they haunt you. At the time, that big performance was required of a lot of people. They wanted it from a lot of people, but there's a sort of a limit to it, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, Rick's performance is not small. Oh, no, exactly. I mean, he's the case in point. But the thing is, my character was already larger than life. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't hear the words, you wouldn't see the character because I was masking it with this enormously exaggerated version of her. Yeah. Does that seem like a really trivial thing to say? No, it there? doesn't. I mean, no. it makes me cringe when I think about it. Well, the fact that it still makes you cringe <laughs> to this day, after all that time, then that really puts it into context. That makes you realise that although these are seemingly... You go, well, it's just a play, it's all right, these are not... No, but it's I, not. Uh, I knew I'd blown a really good chance. Mm. That was the thing I knew I'd done. I, I'd fucked it. Yeah. And, and I knew that I wasn't going to get another chance to play, play for those people uh, again. I mean, I did yeah. at various other points in my career. But... but they went, oh, there's that girl that goes right over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, who needs a right over the top character? Get her I in. Know. Carla Mendoza, get her in. <laughs> oh, no. And completely not Ooh. true. I saw you in that play. It's a long time ago now. You were brilliant. It was so. a long time ago. Oh, thanks, Mikey. It was such fun. Yeah. We all lost our voices doing it, of course. Of we were course, all yeah. all the time. <laughs> um, but um, it gave us the husky tones we all have now. No, that's it. That's it. Never going to think about it again now. Thanks to you. It's been exercise. It's gone. We've got rid of it. Oh, I'm glad. Yes, it, I, I think um, that whole thing about being desperate to please, it's a curse for women, I think. I mean, I've been guilty of it myself, so I don't think it's just women. Yes, not you know, exclusively but it, women. But no, it is true no. that it's almost almost required of many young women. Yeah. Show me how much you're enjoying my conversation. Show me how witty you think I am. It's rubbish. And that's why it's so refreshing when you meet someone like Sylvia who says, what are you talking about? Mm. It's a breath of fresh air. It's not rude. It's just honest. If you are talking shit, that's great someone tells you because you learn and move on. Yes, quite. <laughs> and if a man in front of you is being funny, laugh. But don't laugh if he's not. Yes, but don't laugh. <laughs> you're hilarious. Only if he's rich. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, we've got one final lovely thing that you'd like to put in there. Okay, this is a fez. A fez is going in because of Tommy Cooper, whom I absolutely adored as a child or young teenager. Mm. Now, the thing about Tommy Cooper is it's quite influential to me for lots of reasons in my life, as I'm sure you've worked out. But I love being on the edge of my seat with this unpolished, seemingly unpolished, mistake-riddled, crazy, anarchic, terrible magician. Mm. And I I was on the edge of my seat, frightened, really frightened (laughs) that something was going to go wrong, which it then did. I'm going, oh, no! And then looking up and seeing him laughing and twinkling to the audience and doing that little step backwards and forwards he did, Mm -hmm. and then laughing my head off. There was something so dangerous about Tommy Cooper, and I I really really loved that. And I realised that that fine line between comedy and tragedy, when you see the switch from, like, 
one thing immediately to another and it throws you off balance. Mm-hmm. It switches your emotions like so quickly. I, I love that kind of humour. <laughs> Sophie, my character, my parents are aliens, who was very, very willing to please, desperate, in fact, to please. And she was very sweet. And she said, well, everything was like that and everything. And then Brian, her husband, would do something really, really annoying. She'd go, Brian. <laughs> or one of the kids' friends would come in and she'd go, hello, Pete. <laughs> I like that sort of contradiction and the contrast between the serious, the frightening and the amusing. Mm-hmm. And of course, the other reason the Fez is significant for me is because I met my husband. Well, I didn't meet my husband. I met him 20 or over 20 years ago. But he played Tommy Cooper mm. on stage and on tour. It was really quite alarming at times, wasn't it? Disturbing, I know. Because he's a big man, Clive. Yeah. And so was Tommy Cooper. Yeah. And he had it to a T. There were times when I was standing in the wings because I was playing sort of tiny little female parts in it. I would be standing in the wings and I'd forget it was him completely. It was like being with Tommy Cooper reincarnated. It was amazing. So that's the sentimental. I mean, also Clive said that if you don't mention me at any point in this, <laughs> in your time capsule, I'm going to be really upset. It's all about him. It's a constant battle. Well, let's go back and listen to his, shall we, and see how many times he mentions you. Yeah. Well, he doesn't, does he? A trifle, Wiltshire. <laughs> yes. I don't remember what the other things were. They were really dull. There was the chance, but he didn't take it. I can't yeah. believe it. No, 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 no. So honestly. we'll just cut him out of this. He was exhausted from looking after the puppies, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't really explained my comedy thing about Tommy Cooper. I think it was that the, the, the line between danger and tickling. It takes a great skill, that, as well, doesn't it? We know yeah. from yeah. when we've been asked to do it ourselves that the amount of work it takes to make it look as if you've made a mistake... Yes. It's harder to do that than actually just do normal things. Yes. If you do Coronation Street, you do lots of sitting around talking to people. You're just chatting. Yeah. And every now and again, something dramatic comes along. But most of the time, it's just, uh, did you get the bread? No. Yeah. No. All right, I'll see you over the road. And that's it. You're in my case, in my character in Coronation Street, all I say is, because I'm the headmistress, I say, come in, take a seat. Do you know why you're here? <laughs> I say, yes, it's in the script. <laughs> <laughs> all right, don't be cheeky. Um... <laughs> Brilliant. But the thing of actually going out and the skill of doing a magic trick that you know you can do, but at the same time mm. deliberately getting it wrong, it's amazing. Yeah, it's genius. It was like Donald O'Connor, their number Make Him Laugh in Singing in the Rain. Wow, yeah. He's, a, he's an absolutely brilliant dancer, but how hopeless does he look in that thing, being falling over all over the place and tripping himself up. And he's a superb dancer. You just watch the other number that he does with Gene Kelly when they're... They're doing elocution. I can't remember what the song is now. Yeah, Moses supposes. Moses supposes his toes are the roses. Mm. Moses supposes erroneously. Mm. But it's just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yes, I think uh, if you look at Good Morning, with the three of them dancing, that little song and dance stuff, Donald O'Connor, genius. Absolute genius. Such character in what he did. I mean, Gene Kelly was very fine, Mm. you're right. Um, Whereas Fred Astaire was just, I used to be favourite of Gene Kelly's and not Fred Astaire, but now... I've changed my mind since I've got older. Yeah. Um, Fred Astaire is gliding about. but well, um, Gene Kelly's slightly better looking than Fred Astaire, I think. Yes, I think so, yeah. I did have a bit of a crush on Gene Kelly, but then I had a crush on Cliff Richard when I was a kid as well, so <laughs> what can you say? You don't get everything right when you're young. No. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't. Oh, dear. Oh, no, fantastic. OK, well, there we are. So there's all the things for the time capsule. Now all we have to do is plan our assault on the West End musical stage, you and I, as a team. Let's do it. We could just do a double act. Yeah, we could do the songs of Elton John, and I'll be, Hold me close, <laughs> colour men dancer. Free, colour men dancer. <laughs> oh, my. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Carla. 
thank you. Oh, it's just been a joy to see you again for an hour and chew the fat. Lovely. Thank you, my darling. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Carla Mendonca. I hope you enjoyed our conversation enough to make you want to subscribe to this podcast. We'd also love it if you rate the show. Highly would be nice. And maybe if you're feeling really inspired, you might write a short review so others can discover us thanks to your advice. Do follow me on my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook and feel free to get in touch. We'll almost certainly answer you. And if you enjoy the theme tune to my time capsule, which was composed and performed by Pass the Peas Music, then it's available on Spotify for your listening pleasure. This cast-off production for Acast was skillfully produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right. I'd like to leave you with my own piece of magic now. It's not only Tommy Cooper can do magic. Oh, no. Right, I want you to take a piece of paper and a pencil. I'm happy to wait while you gather these items together. Okay, ready? Good. Now, draw a simple picture of the first thing that comes into your mind. Just let your imagination sail in any direction you choose. Let it bob around on the waves of your inner psyche and allow a picture to float to the surface. Have you thought of something? Right, then draw it on the paper. Don't wave uh, at all. You done it? Right. Is it a house? What do you mean, no? That was a bloody waste of time, wasn't it? Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.